Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is a very special episode of your caregiving journey. We're going to talk about FTD with Jerry. So Jerry and Sharon are going to join us in just about two minutes. Going to give you a couple quick updates, and then we're going to go right into the show. Just want to let you know that our contest that helps you get to Chicago for our first annual National Caregiving Conference ends today. So we have five cash prizes we're going to award to five family caregivers to help you get to Chicago for the conference. Today is the last day to enter. I announce the winners tomorrow. So if you're thinking, I wish I could get there, just need a little help, I need a little money, enter the contest. Ends tonight for a chance to win. Oh, So good luck to everybody. It's been awesome. And I have to say, a little heartbreaking to read why it's so hard for family caregivers to get to a conference. Nothing that will surprise you, but it is also comforting to know that what we're doing with the conference is something that people truly value and truly look forward to attending. And I just want to mention that our live calling show is on Sunday, Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to talk about how do you manage the daily caregiving grind. So, Feel free to give us a call during our live show and let us know how you cope, how you get through the daily grind. You can find more information about our contest, about our conference, listen to our podcasts on caregiving.com. Okay, so let me tell you about our guests who are joining us today. So Jerry Hall is an internationally recognized advanced practice nurse. She holds a nursing doctorate and is widely respected for her research in Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And she joins us every month to share her perspectives and her solutions to help as you're caring for a family member with FTD. And leading the discussion is Sharon Hall. She's one of our members on caregiving.com. She cares for her mom and for her husband, who was diagnosed with FTD last fall. And Sharon also moderates our weekly chat on caregiving.com on Monday evenings for persons who care for a family member with FTD. So welcome, Sharon and Jerry. How are you guys today? Great. How are you? Good. Okay. So, Sharon, take it away. Let us know what we're talking about today and what questions we're going to answer. We're going to be talking about anger and aggression and caregiver safety today with Jerry. And I just wanted to remind everyone that you can feel free to call in if you have questions. The number is 646-652-4944, and Denise will be moderating that for any questions that you have. But I'd like to start, Jerry, first of all, by saying welcome and thank you once again for offering this time to the FTD community. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, um, how do you determine whether a caregiver is safe when there is some physical or verbal aggression happening? Um, It's a good question. First of all, I'm delighted to be here. I don't get a chance to speak with FTD caregivers very often. in a group. Um, One of the things that that can happen, usually with behavioral variant FTD, and that's the kind where the patient has no uh, insight and they're totally self-centered and narcissistic um, and they're uninhibited. Um, So this is a patient that we would expect might develop aggression later on. 
the aggression very often is uh, focused on the caregiver, that the caregiver is no longer uh, recognized as the patient's wife that or, or husband, that the, the patient uh, makes distinct uh, statements like, I want a divorce or I don't love you anymore, that sort of thing. That's the very beginning. If you've got a, a patient who's beginning to do that, we then have to start looking for, are they becoming verbally aggressive? Verbally aggressive is threatening, um, yelling at you, demeaning you, um, and just generally uh, being loud and kind of obnoxious. Um, many caregivers at this point begin to apologize. They can't understand what they've done wrong. And the truth is they've done nothing wrong and they really shouldn't be apologizing. This is just a bad side of the FTD illness. Um, after that, what we see are physical threats. And physical threats usually start uh, with slamming a wall, um, making a fist and shaking it at the, at the, the caregiver, um, and physically threatening harm, such as I'm going to hit you, I'm going to kick you, I'm going to kill you. At this point, it's important to recognize as a caregiver that you are in danger. Um, you don't want to wait until this escalates to the point where uh, you have to take a punch or you get pushed down or uh, even worse, the patient can sometimes come after you with a weapon. There are a couple things that you need to do instantly if your person says to you, um, I, I want a divorce, I hate you, I've never loved you, you know, and while you're devastating, you need to first of all recognize that this is a symptom. This really has nothing to do with you, whether you were a good spouse or whether you were uh, a good adult child. It really has to do with the disease. The second thing is that unless you've tried and it works, you can't talk the patient out of this. This is something that's a delusion. It's a fixed false belief. And Fixed is the operational word. There's not much you can do to change it. There are no medications we can give them to change it. We can hopefully take use medications to take some of the edge off. However, many patients at this stage do better if they are moved to um, an independent living or an assisted living environment, not a memory care, uh, because they're still up and about and uh, independent, but we usually encourage the family to pursue a guardianship to preserve the, the family assets um, and a conservatorship um, so that, you know, the person doesn't drain the family resources, but getting the patient apart is very important at this point. The second thing that you really want to do is as long as that patient is in your house, you have to be on guard. We tend to request that caregivers move into a separate bedroom, that they uh, contact the fire department for a uh, lockbox to put on the front of the house. These are very commonly available throughout the United States. Um, and that you remove anything that could be construed as a weapon so that if you have a knife block with carving knives, et cetera, in it. You don't want that sitting out. 
um, that you want to make sure that there are no guns in the house and no ammunition. Um, understand in moving to a second bedroom that you want to have a lock on that door. And you want to get into the habit of, if you're in the same room with the, the patient and the patient begins to get a little bit agitated and starts to become aggressive, you need to make sure that you're positioned between the door and the person so that you, you never can't get out. Have a plan for safety that if the person should become violent, you know, where will you hide? Make sure that you've got a lifeline, not on the patient, but on yourself so that you can summon help instantly if you're not near a phone. Um, these situations can escalate very, very quickly. Um, but again, it's not that the patient is bad. Usually it's a symptom, and very often these types of uh, incidents will result in a psych brief psychiatric stay and the patient placed on fairly heavy-duty medications um, and then transferred to uh, a uh, care facility with um, a bent on mental health and aggressive people. How quickly uh, can it escalate? I, I know myself, Jerry, that my husband has had outbursts and uh, sometimes publicly. Uh, when it is a public situation, what is the best way to calm that situation in a public venue? Agree with the person and get them out of there. Uh, nine times out of ten in a public venue, such as a restaurant or a mall or the supermarket, it's the fact that there's too many people around and too much noise and too much going on for that injured brain to manage. So you get them out of there as quickly as possible. Don't let them drive home. Um, make sure that you know you give it a little while and give them kind of a timeout, but not in the place. Uh, very often patients sort of tell us without telling us that um, the stimulus is getting too much and they'll try and leave, uh, make comments about let's go, it's time to go. Um, if you hear that from a person, get them out of there as quickly as, and as quietly as you can. Okay. Uh, let me ask you another thing. Uh, what signs are definitely serious enough to call for help? I mean, if someone is just uh, being verbally aggressive, uh, the old, uh, you know, oh, I hate you, get, you know, get out of my face, or, is, that, is that something where you actually need to call for help? Or I, I guess I have a, an issue with when does this occur. I, you know, I always feel like I can handle things, and, and I know that it can become dangerous, but I'm not quite sure where that line is. I don't know how to determine that line. In my mind, uh, first of all, you need to look at the patient's background. If they have had any um, sort of tendency towards anger, you're going to set a far lower threshold for that. Um, but my line that I usually talk about with caregivers is uh, when the patient starts shaking their fist. But that, at that time, you need to get to a doctor and you need to get them on some medication to control the anger. The other thing that we do is we have caregivers practice a response where the first thing you do if the patient starts getting agitated is you apologize. 
you haven't done anything wrong, but you want to apologize. And then you need to get so that the two of you are on the same side of the table so that you want to agree with them. I'm so sorry you're upset. I just, I would never, ever want you to be this upset. And then after that, you want to play dumb so that you're going to vow to fix it. You know, let's see if we can't get this worked out. I'll work on this tomorrow. And if you can diffuse a situation like that, you know, it may be good to have your your physician on board and some medication um, if you need it uh, and not lorazepam, which is also known as Ativan or Xanax because those will escalate a situation. The other thing is you need to talk with your doctor. If your patient is on something like uh, Aricept, which is given for Alzheimer's, or Exelon or Razadine, uh, Dinepazil, those can make people very agitated and quite aggressive, people with FTD. So you want to make sure you can get off of those. Uh, so you need to discuss that with the doctor. If you've got a patient who is coming towards you and their hands in a fist, you're in trouble. Um, you need to get out of there, even if it means going outside and standing in the backyard for a few minutes um, until the situation calms down. And at that point, don't ever hesitate to pick up the phone and dial 911 for two reasons. The first is that you don't want to be alone with the patient at that point if they're raising a fist to you or if they're brandishing a knife or anything. Um, the second reason is that the patient at this point it very often is frightened, and when they see the uniform, the uniform helps. As a general rule, what they will do is take the patient to the nearest emergency room and then in for a psychiatric evaluation once they've determined that the patient doesn't have a urinary tract infection or something like that. Now, let me ask you, when you if you have someone that is gets a little verbally aggressive and you are able to diffuse the situation, is that a precursor to the fists? Uh, is it, it a time be. when, uh, like I had, um, we had an increase in our medication recently when we had a couple of public outbursts, the increase in medication has now seemed to dampen that and I'm able to control it more. It will, will that be something that will move to a fist situation at some point, or is that just individualized depending on the patient? It's individualized, and, you know, there's no statistics and there's nothing written about this type of behavior. And so we can't look at large groups of people and say, gee, in a sample of 5,000 people, this is what happened and this is how often it goes to being physically aggressive. I think if a patient is, is verbally abusive, you know, and, and I usually look at three or four times a week, um, then I think they need to be on more medication, um, carefully selected medication. Um, but if, if they're picking up a fist, if they grab your wrist and squeeze it, um, you know, do anything, pinching, biting, anything like that, then you're in danger. Um, and I can't emphasize too much the importance of being in your own room at night. If you've got a patient who's 
marginally sort of verbally aggressive. They've pinched you once or twice or grabbed your wrist once or twice. The one thing you do not want to have happen is you do not want them coming into a bedroom where you are at night and picking up an alarm clock and hitting you or a fireplace poker, uh, or as in one case I had a steak knife. Um, you want to make sure that you're well defended at all times. So you want to lock on that bedroom door and use it. And is the time, because I see this a, a lot in a lot of questions that, that come up in FTD and even talking to other FTD caregivers, you, you always feel like this is a person that you've known for a million years and you always feel as though you can handle things. Um, again, on the moving to a separate bedroom, is verbal aggression three or four times a week somewhere where you move to another bedroom or is it I would. earlier than that? Um, you know, that depends on your marriage. And the thing that I'm trying to get across is I don't want you to be in denial and say, John would never hurt me. Because in many ways, this isn't John anymore. Um, but if you can talk somebody down, they're sleeping through the night, Keep going, but once that person crosses that line of physical aggression, understand you are in danger. Now, if they've crossed that line of physical aggression, they've balled up the fist, and we know now that we need assistance. So if we call 911 if it's, if it's very volatile or we're moved to another, another bedroom, are there, are there steps there? So... If I've balled up a fist, if somebody has balled up a fist at me and come at me and I feel threatened and I get out of the situation, is that a time when we have to seriously look at some sort of placement or is it just the first time and we can calm the situation and if it happens again we look at placement? Where do we then go on that continuum of how much additional safety net we need? I think if your patient is coming at you with a balled-up fist or grabs your arm, you know, enough that he's hurting you, uh, and I or she, because we've had many, the, the person with the steak knife was a, a female patient, um, I think that's some time when you, even if you're able to talk them down and reassure them, you need to talk to a physician and you need to, to get some medication on board because one of the the consistence about behavioral variant FTD is it's totally unpredictable. And that makes it very you know, difficult we don't know for the what caregiver. Says, yeah. What types of behaviors should we be reporting to neurologists, to the doctor, between visits? So, you know, sometimes you just feel as though you don't want to be this crabby person that calls all the time and bothers about uh, this or that. So uh, what what um, determines when we need to call that neurologist? Because most of us are seeing neurologists maybe every six months or so. And uh, if, if there's an interim, what types of signs are we looking at in order to call and say, I think we need an adjustment or a visit? I think if you've got someone who's yelling at you two or three times a week um, and who's becoming more and more difficult to talk out of it, then it's time to call. Early intervention is better. 
um, it's like treating pain. It's much easier to treat pain before it occurs and ward it off than trying to treat somebody who's in pain. And the same is with aggression. When somebody is already aggressive, it's much more difficult to control uh, with medications than if you're inch by inch using antidepressants and that sort of thing to make sure that the patient gets out of back in control. The other thing is that it's more than medications. You really need to take a look at what's been going on before with the patient that they became aggressive. You know, was it a fight over money? Was it they wanted the car? Was it uh, that you were in the supermarket and they became loud and aggressive in public? Um, that whole thing helps you structure the environment so it minimizes the potential for it. One of the biggest triggers that we see, and I know this is not going to be popular, but one of the things that is so common with our patients is they've got the TV on all day, and they're going to either the news feed shows where you've got 24-hour news loop and things over and over again. Um, the judge shows the um, talk shows where it may be a little bit aggressive at times, uh, or my favorite, murder before bed. Um, that in my house, we watch three murders a night. Um, law and order, law and order, and law and order. You know, and that patients very often can't figure out what's real and what's not real. Um, and so we really need to look at what's going on and, and structure the environment. So do you feel that, that if there are a lot of shows being watched that have violence in them, is that sort of a precursor to more aggression occurring? It's absolutely a precursor to more uh, aggression. You know, so that caregivers, you know, trying to live without TV is very difficult. But what you can do is put the, the blocks on the TV so that you're not getting MSNBC and you're not getting uh, Fox News feed and you're not getting CNN News feed. Um, you're not watching um, Blacklist or other things that would tend to promote aggression. Yeah, that that can be difficult, especially with uh, with those of us that are that have a male. <laughs> they're, they're all. If I see men in black one more time, I'm going to throw up on my shoes. But uh, that's a type of thing that they, they they sort of enjoy, and so sometimes it's very hard to get around that. But um, well, let me if ask you have cable, question. you can usually watch sports. The other thing is that you can you can record them and play them over and over and over. Um, you don't necessarily want wrestling, but things like baseball, football, that sort of thing, those are fine, and they, they help get some of that testosterone under control. Yeah, I, I, have to, I have seen the national championship game this year about 25 times, so I could call the game in my sleep. But well, I hope you got story. more out of the Olympics. <laughs> yes, well, the Olympics are good. Now let me ask you a question. If someone is nonverbal, how do you know where the aggression is coming from? I mean, if they're nonverbal, they're obviously not yelling at you, but a lot of times a nonverbal person can get that look, that, you know, that angry look on their face and can sometimes do the bald fist. Uh, what, how do you know what's happening and how do you 
start to diffuse a nonverbal situation? You give the patient a timeout. Um, with nonverbal patients, very often you can back off. They're not expressing that, you know, I hate you, I hate you kind of thing. Um, giving them a timeout, distracting with um, food or uh, another activity or uh, anything that you can, music, anything that you can do to, to sort of get their mind off of it. Um, when you talk about um, the verbal patients, the person who's got a demanding illness, who's losing it in terms of uh their stress abilities, they're not going to tell you, gee, Grandpa Mary, uh, Grandma Mary came over and uh, whined during dinner and that really set me off. You, as a caregiver, have to sort of say, what happened here? Um, you know, was the patient tired? Was there a change of pace or a change in the environment? Um, you know, were we traveling? Was there a special event? Uh, or is the person having a urinary tract infection or uh, something else going wrong physically? And, and, I just and so you, you look for those things and go, ah, you know, it happened. And what we look back is about 24 hours. And, you know, gee, we went to the eat-all-you-can buffet dinner uh, and there was a school bus full of children there, and it was noisy. And think back to those kinds of things. You know, gee, we went to aerobic exercises, and um, she uh, exercised and exercised, and then we went out to lunch at a uh, crowded place. And that alone can do it in terms of fatigue. Okay. So looking for just, those cues. And, and we only have about five minutes here, uh, Jerry. Do yeah. we have a question, Denise? We've got four minutes. I just wanted to mention that. And oh, I okay. also would yeah. love for you to also mention our September show to give yes, us an that's what I was just um, going to say. I want to yeah, give everyone a heads good. up about September. Instead of being the fourth Thursday, it will be the fifth Thursday, which will be September 29th at 2 o'clock. And uh, we will be talking that time about transitioning to long-term care. I know that's a, a, a subject that a lot of people talk about and they have a lot of guilt about and don't know how to handle it, what to say. So that will be our next topic that we'll be covering on September 29th. So mark your calendar for the fifth Thursday because on the fourth Thursday, Jerry will be cruising and I will also be out of town. So we're taking a little vacation so it'll be the fifth Thursday on the 29th of September. And Jerry, I'd love for you to wrap us up with really some last thoughts you'd like us to keep, so that when a situation feels like it's too much for us, we remember what to do. Okay. First thing, don't blame yourself. This is a symptom of the disease. This is not the person in many ways that you've loved for many years um, and so don't feel guilty when somebody acts out to you it's just a normal part of the disease which does not mean that you have to take it um, if you've got someone and they're beginning to become verbally aggressive or agitated when you're around speak with your doctor or their doctor and make sure that you've got medication on board if you need it look for triggers of what might have caused this behavior if the behavior is bad enough that it's happening two or three times a week 
and particularly if it's difficult to talk them down with the agree, apologize, um, and and vow to fix it uh, approach, then it's time to call 911 when the person becomes aggressive. If the person becomes aggressive and physically and it's not treated, it will occur again, no matter how many times you've spoken to the person about it. Reasoning tends to, or trying to reason with the patient, tends to make things worse. Um, and then if you get into a situation where you are being assaulted, call 911 and let the police take over or the paramedics. And should we always inform 911 that this is a dementia issue? Yes. Um, yeah, you don't really want the police coming unless that's how it works in your community. In most communities, it's the paramedics, and most paramedics now are becoming really well-trained in uh, dementias. And as we close today's show, I just want to mention that this is now one and done. We're going to continue the conversation because this is such an important topic, and I'm so glad that we were able to cover it today. Sharon, any last thoughts in our last few seconds? No, I, I once again want to thank Jerry for offering us this 30 minutes once a month to get some of our questions answered. And those of you that are listening, if you have questions, please direct them to that FTD podcast questions at yahoo.com anytime. You know that I'm on um, many of the Facebook groups. Direct them to me in a, in a message. We'll certainly get your questions answered for you. And don't feel ashamed about any question that you have, because if you have the question, I can guarantee thousands of others have that same question. So we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Jerry and Sharon. Another really terrific show. You're very welcome. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing, because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.